if this is your first Sunday here with us, welcome, and uh, hopefully you know you're invited to lunch uh, afterwards. If uh, you, this is your first Sunday with us, then let me catch you up from last week. So we're in like a quick little mini-series to kick off the year where we're talking about our vision and our mission as a church. There's a little pamphlet in the, few, in the pew in front of you that walks you through what we're calling 2022, the year of mission. And so last week we talked about how it, that mission flows out of our vision statement. So our vision as a church is we want to be people that receive God's grace. So we see God's grace just pouring out on us in our lives, fundamentally through the gospel, but also through all of creation, through the relationships in this room, our jobs, everything in life is a gift from God. So as we receive his grace, we respond with worship. And that's where the upward pointing arrow. So we look up and we're so filled with gratitude for all the good things in our life, most importantly the gospel, and we respond in worship like we're doing now, but hopefully what we continue to do throughout this week as we respond to God's goodness in our lives. But we want to then connect in community. That's the third part of our vision. We want to see you coming together in community, like sitting here with the family of God is connection, connecting in one of the classes that we offer or one of the groups that meets in homes. But we don't want to just leave it there. And if you've been around Christianity long enough, then you might have noticed this, but sometimes churches can unintentionally become kind of like country clubs because we all come together we all value the same things and we really enjoy one another and we participate in services like that this that make us feel good and we connect with other like-minded people and then sometimes churches can stall out right there and the year of mission is us saying emphatically we do not want that to be something that happens at Northgate Church. We want to be people that receive his grace, respond in worship, connect in community. Why? So that we will go out on mission. Because before Jesus ascended up into heaven, he told us that we have a mission to carry out here on this earth. That there's a lot of people that are lost, a lot of people that are blind, a lot of people that need to know that God loves them and forgives them and wants them to have a flourishing life. But that comes through knowing Jesus and trusting in him. So that's our mission. When we talk about our mission at Northgate Church, we use four words as well. We use the words engage, evangelize, establish, and equip. And I think of it as a progression. And so let's look to what's behind me here. We have the cross here. So if we think of this cross as sort of a dividing line of the stage, then there are some people that we know that that have not yet come to Christ, those we need to engage and evangelize. There are others on this side that would say are Christians and we should establish them and equip them. And what we want all people to do on this progression is we all want everyone taking one step to the right. If we see Christ on the cross here, then off in the distant horizon there is Christ on the throne. And we all are moving towards glory, that great time when we can reunite with our Savior in heaven. So we're all taking steps to the right. But we know that there are people in our lives that are far from Jesus. We think of them as far over here on the spectrum. And what we need is we need them to engage. We don't need to throw the Bible down on the table between us and preach at them. That's, that's not engaging. We need to become their friend. We need to show interest in their lives. We need to make a genuine friendship, not a manipulative friendship, but genuinely build a bridge so that we can know this other human being and extend them God's love. And as we do that, then we also know there are people in our lives, maybe it's that same person that we've extended love to, or maybe not. Maybe there's other people in our lives that, you know what, they're closer to the things of God. Maybe they come to church. Maybe they go to church. Maybe they have come to church with you or an event at the church. Maybe you know just from personal experience through time spent with them that they are actually interested in following Jesus and living a life for him. Now those people at Northgate, we say we need to evangelize such people. 
Now, evangelize has become sort of a word in 2022 uh, pop culture, Christianity. It's like, are we supposed to say that? I don't know that we're supposed to say that. If you look evangelize up in the dictionary, it means to seek to convert someone to Christianity. It's like, whoa, that's, that's pretty strong. It is pretty strong. It is pretty blunt. But, but what we at Northgate have decided is, you know what? Let's not bait and switch here. Let's be straightforward. And I'll be straightforward with you and everybody online. Fundamentally, what I think the most important thing you could do in your life is make a decision to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and convert to Christianity. And that's our mission. Our mission is to help people convert to Christianity. Let's not pretend like that's not what we're here to do. That's what we are here to do. We want to see people convert to Christianity because that's how you will find the most flourishing life possible. That's how you will not go to hell, but rather go to heaven. And so, yes, we want to evangelize. Now, how we evangelize, that's an important conversation, isn't it? We don't want to throw the Bible down and preach at people, do we? We want to be engaging and we want to be people that are um, uh, loving and, and, uh, and uh, kind-hearted and respectful. But fundamentally, we do believe, and I've told people this, looked them eye to eye and said, fundamentally, I want you to be a Christian. I'll be your friend no matter what decision you make. But I'll be honest enough to tell you that I want you to follow Jesus and trust in him. Once people make that decision and they begin to follow Jesus, then they enter over here. Now we're saying, okay, we're going to establish and equip these people. We're going to establish them in this newfound faith. We'll offer courses and groups and spaces where they can come and grow. And as they do, then what we're going to realize is, okay, now these people need to be equipped. Because there's a whole bunch of people that were in their life and are in their life that now can be engaged and evangelized and established and equipped. And so we go back and we, we do the same. That's the mission statement of our church. What I want to do this Sunday is talk about engaging and evangelizing. And what I want to do next Sunday is talk about establishing and equipping. So for this Sunday, we're looking at Jesus and how he engaged and evangelized. Particularly in the Gospel of John. So the Gospel of John... Uh, is John, he's a disciple of Jesus. It's his account of what happened as he followed Jesus as one of the 12 disciples. John can be confusing in your Bibles because there is the Gospel of John and then there is also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the backs of your Bibles. But if you would like to follow along this morning, the whole time will be in the Gospel of John. So if you find it in your pew Bible, if you find it in your phone, you'll be able to keep track with me all through the morning if you can just find the Gospel according to John. As I taught about engaging and evangelizing, I uh, look to a journal that I keep. I, I journal through the Bible. I use a method called SOAP. It stands for S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. So as I journal through the Bible, I look for things that I can make observations about. As I make an observation, then I try and turn that into an application for my life, and then I write out a prayer. Now, I do that in partnership with a number of guys in our church. So there are a number of guys in our church that we meet together on Wednesday mornings at 645 in the fellowship hall downstairs. And uh, you're invited to come to that, too. Uh, it's not a closed group. You're welcome to come. Just send me a text, an email, call, whatever, and we'll bring you at the table. As we've been going through the Gospel of John together on Wednesday mornings, we all sit around the table with our journals to share what we saw in the previous week. Uh, this is like a, a works cited to open the sermon. If I share something this morning and you're one of those guys and you're like, hey, that was my thought. Here you go. Here's credit. I don't make notes next to who says what. Um, also, if you're offended by something in the sermon, I can forward you the contact list of the men in my group. Because <laughs> it was probably one of their ideas. Okay. 
John. If you found the Gospel of John, let's look at how Jesus engages with people in the Gospel of John, starting in John chapter 1. So as John writes his Gospel, right away, he jumps right into Jesus recruiting his 12 disciples. We don't have the birth account in John's Gospel of Jesus. He just dives right in. So by verse 38, Jesus is recruiting his 12 disciples. So this is what happens in verse 38. Jesus looks behind him and he sees these two guys following him. So Jesus turns to these two guys that are following him and he says, what is it that you seek? And the two guys respond and they say, well, where are you staying? And this is where I'll pick up the account and begin to read it. Um, is in verse uh, 38. What are you seeking? Jesus says. And they says, where are you staying? And then Jesus' response in verse 39. Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now one of the two who heard him, or who, I'm sorry, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. What I want to see in this passage quite simply is you have the same invitation that Philip extends to Nathanael. You're curious about Jesus. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. It's just sometimes the simple things in Scripture, sometimes we just miss because we just blow right on by to check off our reading plan. But this is so simple. It is simply an invitation to come and see. Sometimes we skip it in Scripture and sometimes we skip it in our lives. Sometimes we think to ourselves, oh, well, this person I know that that they're sort of, they're not ready. I shouldn't invite them. They'll they'll say no. I I know what they'll say. They'll say no. I'm not going to invite them. But you haven't invited them, so you don't know what they're going to say, do you? Sometimes we think, oh, well, they might think I'm weird, or they might think I'm a Jesus freak, so I'm I'm not going to invite them. We think they don't want me to invite them. Somebody said something to me once, it's always stuck in my mind, and that is this. I was sort of debating whether or not I should invite somebody to this event, and this person turned to me and said, Matt, everybody likes to be invited to a party. Everybody likes that. It means that you, that, that's you saying, I like you and I want to spend time with you. Everybody likes to be invited to a party. Generally speaking, some of you, your parties are, hmm. Um, everybody likes to be invited to a party. And so we should be eagerly inviting people with a simple invitation to come and see Jesus. I also think, you know, we skip it because uh, we're afraid But there are other times where we sort of, we ask too much, I think. So there's somebody in our life, and we want to say, hey, come, come, you need Jesus, come on. You need to come and obey Jesus. Look at what Jesus didn't say. I think this is important. Jesus did not, his invitation was not, come and believe. Jesus did not say, come and believe. Jesus did not say, come and obey. Jesus did not say, come and join my church. Jesus did not say, come and agree with me. This is very important. His invitation of Jesus, our Savior, is simple. It's just, just come and see. Just come and see. 
Now, later in the story, later in the Gospel of John, Jesus will look people in the eye and say, you need to believe. And he'll look people in the eye and say, you need to obey me. It is not that Jesus is unwilling to tell people to believe or invite them to obey. The point is simply this. There are times when Jesus wants to engage with someone and he says, you know what? Based on where you are, here's the invitation. Just come and see. Just come and see. And so sometimes I think we might get ourselves in trouble when we're like, oh, come. I, you need to come and believe this. Well, maybe, maybe they just need to come and see. And maybe as they come and see, they'll experience something that will change them. Maybe as they come and see, they'll learn something that will change them or they'll make friends and they'll be able to, to walk a road towards Jesus one step after another. But the very first step was simply coming to see and trusting that God will work along the way. I'll brag on my kids for just a second. They come to Awana, our Wednesday night kids program. And a few months ago, I had to change my Wednesday afternoon rhythms and leave my car parked in the parking lot to drive home and eat dinner. I took the 12-passenger church van, and then I would return to Awana at 6.30 p.m. with a 12-passenger church van of kids from my neighborhood. Why? Because my kids get it. My kids get it that it's just a simple invitation. Do you want to come to Awana with me? No. Okay. Well, want to go play with cars? Okay. Like, my kids get it. It's a simple invitation, and the invitation is contagious. What happens when Jesus invites Andrew? Andrew invites Peter. What happens when Jesus invites Philip? Philip invites Nathaniel. It's just a simple invitation, and that's how we can engage like Jesus engaged. Jesus also engaged by thoughtful conversation. So to see that, you just turn a couple pages in your Bible, and you're going to be at John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, what you see is Jesus interacting with the woman at the well. That's what we've sort of like branded this story is Jesus and the woman at the well. So she's a Samaritan woman. And we don't have time to read the whole story, but you can read it at home this week. It's a wonderful story. Much to learn. We're just going to take one little observation out of the story. But this is what happens. Jesus is tired from walking all day. He sends his disciples off to the city to get provisions for a meal. And Jesus rests by a well. A woman approaches from the town of Samaria to draw water from the well. And Jesus engages her in thoughtful conversation. So if in the story, in chapter 4, verse 9, in the verses leading up to it, Jesus asks her to draw, for her to draw him some water. And I do think it's worth noting that sometimes a great way to start a conversation is to ask someone for help. Sometimes you can feel like, I can't get a conversation going. Well, here's there's a great thing that Jesus is showing us here. What if you started by asking for help? Because I think when you ask someone for help, your, your posture is one of humility. You're entering into that conversation. You're humbling yourself. You're saying, I can't, but you can. And then watch how conversation might flow a little bit easier if you ask someone for help. In verse 9, she says to Jesus, well, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, the conversation sounds a bit weird because we're jumping into it. It happened 2000 years ago in a different time and place. But what Jesus is doing here and as the conversation continues is he's responding to her in the conversation in thought provoking ways. She responds to him and says, well, okay, you're going to give me living water, but you don't even have a bucket. 
how are you going to get living water to give to me? And then Jesus will respond to her. And there's the count of their conversations here in John 4 for you to read. But I'll fast forward. She trusts in Jesus. She returns back to her village. And she does what? She invites the whole village to what? Come and meet Jesus. Come and see. The observation and the application is really quite simple. We need to engage people in thoughtful conversation. You and I are in conversations all the time with people. That's what our weeks are. It's just one conversation after another. We talk about our cars. We talk about our work. We talk about our homes. We talk about the Steelers. There's one conversation that we've all had many times over the last two years. And what is it? COVID. The COVID conversation. Two years of the same conversation. I literally said to someone the other day, I said, what are we going to talk about when COVID's over? I will, we'll have no more small talk. Um, how many times, this is convicting for me, so I'm just sharing it with you. How many times over the last two years have I taken this conversation that I'm bored of and thought about it? And how can I turn this conversation that I know awaits me this week so that I could thoughtfully engage with someone who may not yet know Christ? What's the conversation revolve around? Who to trust? Well, I don't know what to trust. I don't know if I can trust about the vaccine. I don't know what to trust about the masks. I watch the TV. I don't know who to trust. Is that an open door to talk about who I place my trust in? Is that an open door to say, it is hard. We are in a crisis of trust. I'm so grateful that I can trust in God. Is it not a conversation that often revolves around our own mortality? Are we not often talking about fears that we have? Do we not, if we give it a moment to thoughtfully consider, have an opportunity in these conversations to talk about how I deal with my fears and how I have faith in God? Do we not have opportunities in these moments to talk about our own mortality and the confidence that I have that I know where I will be when I die? Are these not a series of opportunities that God has given us to have thoughtful conversations so that we could engage with those who are not yet with Christ and see them that they could take just a baby step closer to him. I was at my mechanic this week um, because the church van, that 12-passenger van, uh, was parked in our parking lot and, and somebody thought, oh, I have a good idea. I'll crawl under it and cut the catalytic converter off of it and make 50 bucks. So that happened. Um, and so we dealt with that this week. Uh, and in the process of it, I drove the 12-passenger the van to the mechanic. I'm pulling into the mechanic. It's super loud. So the mechanic tells the people in the waiting room, this is a church van. And can you believe it? Somebody cut the catalytic converter off of a church van. So when I walk into the waiting room, there's a conversation happening. There's two guests in the waiting room and then my mechanic. And uh, and there, I walk into the conversation and it's like, um, well, there's a special place in hell for whoever did that. Right? <laughs> Which, you know, I don't... I don't have a chapter and verse for that, but it seems to be a generally agreed upon idea. Um, but I, I listened as my mechanic uh, engaged in thoughtful conversation, and he threw in lines like, you know, well, God is loving, and God forgives everyone. And um, But then through it all, I just did this the whole time. And the whole time, I'm telling you the whole time, there was a voice in my head saying, um, you should engage in that conversation. And I just kept doing this. 
And then I kept hearing the voice. You should engage in that conversation. How often do you have the opportunity to engage with people to talk about such things? You should engage. And I just kept looking at my phone till finally the strangers left the room. So I share that story to one, let us see that we learn a lot in life from our successes, don't we? And then we learn a whole lot more oftentimes from our failures. And so we can win from our, we can learn from our wins and we can learn, win from our losses, learn from our losses. And so I look back over a period of conversations, right? Where, oh man, I could have, I could have, I should have. But fundamentally, you look back to our vision statement, fundamentally at Northgate Church, it all starts with God's grace. And God has already extended me his grace for that moment. And I have received his grace. And now I worship him all the more because I know he's forgiven me. And I know that he's going to give me even more opportunities in the coming days and weeks. And I hope that in those moments I can respond in better ways. But he is a God of grace. So I don't say those things. I don't challenge you to conversations to heap up guilt for all the ones you've missed. I say it because we can learn from those past moments. And we can engage even this week in thoughtful conversations with the people around us. And hopefully that might engage them to taking one step closer to Jesus. Jesus also engages by meeting needs. So let me show you this quickly. In John chapter 5, so if you turn one more page in your Bible, so John chapter 5, here's an interesting story. Jesus goes into the city of Jerusalem. There's a pool in the city of Jerusalem where people that are, as it says um, in verse 3, are blind, lame, and paralyzed gather around this pool. Why? Because they believe that the water stirs each day, and if they can get in the water first, then they can be healed of whatever it is that's ailing them. Jesus walks up to this pool surrounded by the cripple and the lame and he goes up to a gentleman who's been crippled for 38 years and he asks the gentleman, he says, would you like to be healed? And the man says, of course I would like to be healed, but there's no one who can move me to get into the water. And Jesus turns to that man and says, get up and walk, pick up your mat and walk. Okay, here's what I think is interesting. Jesus doesn't tell the man who he is. Jesus doesn't tell the man to trust in him. The man goes away not knowing who Jesus is. Jesus simply met a need. See, sometimes we can do this. We'll say, well, would you like to be healed? Yes. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Because Jesus wants to meet your most important need. And your most important need isn't spiritual, it's physical. I mean, it isn't physical, it's spiritual. It's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't do that here. Now, you close the story, they finish the story, he goes and he finds the man in the temple later that day. And he tells, Jesus tells the man who he is, and he tells the man, go and sin no more. So Jesus finishes the story. My only observation is this. It is okay sometimes to simply meet a need. It is okay to meet a need. Why? So because you love that person, because you have compassion on them, because you want to serve them and you want to help them. And then it's really great if you can close the loop there and tell them about Jesus. But as you and I both know, sometimes you can't. But what we see here is Jesus first meets a need and then later he goes and tells them who he is. There's a a expression that we throw around sometimes. It says sometimes you have to win the right to be heard. Sometimes you have to do that act of compassion and, and serve someone. And that will open up a door so that you can then eventually evangelize. But first you have to engage. If you want to read stories that will inspire you to this end, then go pop over to our missions corner in the foyer. Interact with that new computer that's there. Take a missions book home and read the stories of our missionaries who went into foreign fields with this philosophy in mind. 
We told you last week that Gene Borman just passed away. He was a missionary. He and his wife Phyllis went to Kenya, Africa in 1960. Phyllis was a nurse. They went into this remote area of Kenya, Africa, and through a period of their ministry, there was a severe drought in their area, in their village. And the African Inland Mission that they were with told them, you need to get out of there. Like, there is literally no water, and you cannot live there through this drought. You're going to die. And the Bormans said, no, we will stay. We meet needs here that, that God has put us here to meet. And Phyllis is meeting these physical needs, and Jean is discipling and leading in the church, and we're staying. The, through the open doors that Phyllis was able to create through meeting physical needs, last we heard, the church that they were involved with in Kenya, Africa, is still going strong under the leadership of African nationals. And so we can engage with people by meeting needs, and so look for needs that you can meet. Let me give you a, a real quick idea on that end. You probably this week won't have the opportunity to walk up to a quadriplegic individual and um, heal them and have them get up and walk. That's probably not the application, but if God were to do that, then that would be amazing. But what you might have is the opportunity this week to reach out to our friend Kelly Schroeder, who's starting a ministry in our church called Different Abilities Ministry, and she seeks to come alongside people who have disabilities and serve them in really important ways, like like get them a partner to be with them in church, to sit with them in a service, or to be with them in a classroom. And that would be a really meaningful way that you could come alongside and help meet a need and help engage someone and be loving like Christ. Love. Jesus engaged by invitation, by conversation, and by meeting needs. Jesus also evangelized. And I don't have much time to do that, so let me just quickly give, give you the evangelism of Jesus. Evangelism is different than engaging. Evangelism is when we do share the good news of Jesus in the hopes that someone will respond. Jesus does this most famously in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. In his conversation with Nicodemus, he says to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Then he turns to Nicodemus and he says, You must be born again. Why did Jesus do that? Because Jesus came. That's why Jesus came, is to share that message. And he sat across from Nicodemus and he told him those words. And God calls us to do the same. We don't often know the response, though. We don't know the response of Nicodemus. Sometimes we get hung up on that as we evangelize. We get hung up on, well, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Well, have some peace and some comfort that Jesus, well, Jesus knew everything. But as the story goes, we don't know how Nicodemus responded. We see Nicodemus at the tomb caring for the body of Christ, so we assume and think that he probably responded in faith, but we fundamentally don't know because it doesn't tell us how Nicodemus responded. And often the case is we share our faith as well. We don't know how people are responding. I've been a pastor for a good number of years and a Christian for a good number of years, and in contexts like this and face-to-face, I've shared the good news of Jesus many times, and I'm telling you, the majority of the times, I don't know how it's received or what response happens, but we share nevertheless. Sometimes the response is rejection. Jesus models that for us. In John chapter 6, verses 22 to 66, Jesus is teaching. And it's a difficult section of teaching from our Savior. And it's easy to misunderstand. But he's fundamentally telling his audience that he is the bread of life. What do you do with bread? You eat it. Okay, so Jesus has a line in his teaching here where he says in verse 56, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. 
ye. It's like one of those, like, oh, I didn't know what kind of person I was following here. So it says in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. If we read it in context and we spend some time meditating on chapter 6, you'll see that Jesus was fundamentally evangelizing. He was telling them, I have the words of life and I am giving you the words of life. Trust in me. Whether his audience understood him or misunderstood him, we don't know. But what we do know is they rejected it. And they walked away. And that will happen to you and I too. If we have those conversations with people, sometimes they're difficult. And sometimes we're misunderstood. And sometimes there's pieces of our faith that it's just like, oh yeah, I know, I wish that it wasn't that way. But, but let me try to explain it. But nevertheless, people walk away. Take some comfort if you feel like you've been sharing the good news and people have walked away from you from misunderstanding or understanding your words. Take some comfort. They did the same thing to Jesus. But not all of them, because in verse 66, Jesus turns to his 12 and he says, "Um, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, if we do this, if we engage and we evangelize, then we will have these moments where there'll be people around us and we'll see their profound faith and we'll see their life change and we will hear their testimony that they could never walk away because how could they walk away from their source of life? And that's what we're pursuing as a church together as we live our lives on mission. Moments like that. Let me close with this illustration. I've used it before, so it might sound familiar. It's a true story. There was a pastor named Ken Smith. He's actually retired right now, and he lives just a couple miles from here. At the time, he was living in a different state. He opened up his newspaper one morning, reading the news, and he read an article in the news that was attacking Christianity. It was written by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. She was a leftist lesbian professor, and she had written a column in the paper attacking Christianity. Ken Smith got out a piece of paper and he wrote a letter to Rosaria. And what did he do? It was a simple invitation to a conversation. Rosaria took that letter, she crumpled it up, she threw it in the trash. And then later that night she fished through the trash, found the paper, put it out, and reached out to Ken. She thought, at the time, I'll use this as ammunition to further attack Christianity. Two years later, Ken and his wife had become her friends. And they had shared many a meal together. They had exchanged books and they had had long talks on sexuality and politics. And eventually over time, Rosaria started to read the Bible. And eventually over time, Rosaria started to feel some conviction for her sin. And eventually over time, she found herself sitting in Ken Smith Church feeling very out of place. And eventually she found herself in what she describes as stuck in the middle of a train wreck conversion where she felt like her whole life was falling apart as she decided to make a turn from all the things that she loved and placed her identity in and valued. She was ready to turn from those things and follow after Jesus. She said it felt like a train wreck, and yet she surrendered herself, repented of her sin, and to this day is following after Jesus, our Savior. And she has become an amazingly godly woman. She is a, a speaker that takes a speaking circuit across the nation and even around the world. She writes books. That's the vision that we're pursuing. That we would be people, what? That engage through a simple invitation. 
to engage people in thoughtful conversation. That when the time is right, Ken and his wife evangelized Rosaria, and it seemed like she rejected, and it seemed like they couldn't tell how she was responding until finally one day God did what only God can do, and he opened the eyes of her heart, and she trusted him as her Lord and Savior. If we will do what God asks us to do, then we can trust that he'll respond as he sees fit. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us in in living out this mission. But God, I do want to pause and just pray for anybody that's here or or watching online that, that might be like a Rosaria Butterfield at that moment. Maybe, God, there's somebody with us right now that feels like Rosaria, feels like they're just... They're interested, but they don't know what they should do. Should If you're with us and that is you, then I believe that God is pulling on your heart. He's calling you to come into his family. And you can simply admit your sin and trust in him as your Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead, and in this moment commit to follow him as your king. I pray that that might be true in this moment for someone. For the rest of us, Lord, who are committed to following you, I pray that you would open our eyes in the coming hours and days and weeks to the opportunities you're giving us. God, give us the boldness to engage and evangelize as you lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.